Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, in a couple of weeks there will be a local gathering of pastors and lay people to discuss our synod and what kind of leadership we need as we prepare to elect a new bishop this June. You are welcome to be a part of that two-hour meeting. We are part of a synod, a confusing word. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is a denomination that is divided into geographic districts. In our denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, the ancient word synod is used differently to describe the 65 geographic areas that each elect a bishop. And just to make things extra confusing, the Presbyterians, who are divided into presbyteries, use the word synod to describe the larger areas that the ELCA calls regions. So, synod, district or diocese would be the least confusing word, but Lutherans being Lutherans, why make things easy? Our geographic synod has headquarters in Phoenix, but it is called the Grand Canyon Synod, and it includes both sides of the canyon, including metropolitan Las Vegas. One of the challenges that any bishop of this synod faces is the fact that at least half of the congregations and most of the biggest congregations are clustered in Phoenix. But there are substantial numbers of congregations in Tucson and in Las Vegas, as well as in the more far-flung areas like the White Mountains, Flagstaff, Yuma, Sierra Vista, Lake Havasu, and St. George, Utah. Keeping in touch with such far-flung communities is difficult, keeping a balance between Phoenix and the rest of the Synod. Is difficult. This morning I remind you that we have a special connection through our Synod to the everyday people of Las Vegas, Lutherans in Las Vegas, who are in church this morning just like we are, who are part of the Grand Canyon Synod just like we are. Because of our Synod, because of the church, I have come to know Las Vegas and its citizens in a way that I would not know them as a tourist. And so their shock and grief after the attack last Sunday night is of immediate Christian concern to us. But their resilience and their competence and their spirit through this tragedy is not a surprise to me because I know them as brothers and sisters of the Grand Canyon Synod. I have, thinking, I have been thinking about recent events in our country on a track, a timeline that is parallel to our observance of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Does the Reformation have anything good or relevant to say to us in these times 
Or is the Reformation simply a colorful memory of people and issues from the past? One of the key insights of the Reformation is a posture toward life, an outlook on the world and humanity called Christian realism. Christian realism is about the balance of hope and reality. In the 20th century, the best spokesperson for Christian realism was the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. He was renowned in the middle of the 20th century, but he is remembered today for the serenity prayer. This was a prayer he introduced and sometimes slightly modified, and it has been slightly modified by popular use. The earliest form of the prayer went like this. Father, give us courage to change what must be altered, serenity to accept what cannot be helped, and the insight to know the one from the other. That original version is slightly different than the one I heard, or maybe you heard. One of the ways it is different is that it puts courage first and serenity second. And the other way it is different is that it says us instead of me. So the more contemporary version that I first heard, and maybe you first heard, went like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr reflects Christian realism, the effort to balance hope and realism, to change the things that I can and should change, that we can and should change, but to gain peace, serenity about the things that we cannot change, and to figure out which things are in which category, which is true wisdom. Martin Luther said in various ways, he said that without Christ, a human being has only two options, delusion or despair. If you see human nature for what it really is, you will either lose hope, you will despair, unless you have the supernatural help of God, or you will convince yourself of things that are not true in order to distract yourself from the pain and difficulty of real life. That is delusion. When Lutherans use the expression, by grace alone, or by grace through faith, we are acknowledging that we need supernatural help in order to face life as it really is. This is Christian realism. In order to do life right, to live life the best, we rely on God. Lutherans use the word grace, which means gift. The serenity prayer asks for three specific graces, courage, serenity, and wisdom. Whereas Lutheranism uses the medieval language, of sin and weakness and grace, 
the modern prayer acknowledges our reliance upon God, our daily dependence upon him for courage, for serenity, and for wisdom. I believe that Christian realism could be the revived contemporary banner of the Reformation in North America. I mentioned Reinhold Niebuhr and Martin Luther, but Christian realism is at the core of the Reformation, articulated by Luther and Calvin, by Lutherans and Reformed churches. Furthermore, both Luther and Calvin stressed that they were simply following the great Catholic teacher, Augustine of Hippo. And St. Augustine built upon the Bible, but especially upon Paul, and Paul built upon Jesus, and especially Jesus and the Old Testament. St. Augustine, the Reformed, church, the Reformed Christians in England even developed a nickname for St. Augustine, Austin. If you've ever known anybody named Austin, they're named after St. Augustine, indirectly. Christian realism is not owned by a church. It is part of the spirit of Reformation that is both evangelical and Catholic, ancient and modern. More importantly, Christian realism from Paul to Augustine to Luther to Calvin to Reinhold Niebuhr and beyond has a message for Americans. Most Americans, most American culture, most American Christianity is extremely idealistic or wants to be. When humans invest heavily in dreams and ideals and those ideals fail, then humans become extremely bitter, extremely angry, extremely cynical. In America right now, we are seeing the consequences of broken dreams and shattered ideals. And then people retreating to their corners, to their closed rooms, and doubling down, investing even more in those ideals. Without Christ, Luther said, humans fall into delusion or despair. Without the supernatural grace of God, in response to despair, humans go deeper into delusion. The serenity prayer asks for serenity, for courage, and for wisdom. This is what Christian realism seeks. Without Christian realism, we have the opposite of serenity, strife. Without Christian realism, we have the opposite of courage, fear. Without Christian realism, we have the opposite of wisdom, madness. We saw all of that in the Grand Canyon Synod this week in Clark County, Nevada. American people are having a huge crisis of confidence in social institutions. The media and the political parties have obviously lost the trust of the public, 
as has Congress in particular and government in general. But not just those bad boys, but churches, neighborhoods, and above all, the family are breaking down from a lack of confidence. Christian realism is wary of human institutions, wary of family and government. The Reformation itself was anti-institutional against the abuse of power by the institutional church. But Christian realism is also wary of unbridled individualism. Christian realism is skeptical of that idealism that private, of that idealism that we see today that private individuals whose main connections to the world are cable television and the internet are going to thrive or to understand the basic realities of life on earth or the life of the human species. I have this parable I made up. It seems like all the parables of Jesus lately have been, a man had two sons. There were two. So I have a parable. In Tucson, there are two drivers driving on our roads and freeways. One is a left-winger and one is a right-winger. And they have each decided separately that traffic signals are instruments of oppression. They have decided separately, each of them, that for them, red will mean go and green will mean stop. And the left-winger has decided that traffic signals are an instrument of oppression. They are colonialist, imperialist, sexist, heteronormative, classist instruments that play a part in a conspiracy that oppresses and lies. The right-wing driver has decided that traffic signals are part of an expanding government that is suppressing liberty, persecuting religious freedom, and promoting atheist propaganda as part of a conspiracy that oppresses and lies. So each, each driver, left and right, has decided separately that for them, red will mean go and green will mean stop. They do not accept fake news. They do not believe in a common, shared truth and reality. And that is madness. And it is not going to work out well for Tucson. Christian realism should be the renewed voice of the Reformation in our time. Christian realism is not idealistic. It is hopeful. Christian realism is not cynical. It is wary. Individual power is needed to balance institutional power, but institutional power is needed to balance individual power. And traditions and communities and families give us the confidence and the trust to keep our society balanced and upright and moving forward in a straight direction. God grant us the courage to change the things we can, the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, and the wisdom to know the one from the other. Amen.